The contents of this podcast are provided for interest only and are not to be considered as, in any way, providing legal advice to the listeners of the podcast by Beardwinter LLP. Should you have an issue of concern, you are strongly advised to obtain independent legal advice from competent legal counsel in Ontario or other relevant jurisdiction. listening to WP Radio. I'm your host, Terry Doherty, and this is an OIAA podcast. On today's podcast, I sat down with some lawyers from Beard Winter to discuss the legalization of marijuana and how it relates to the insurance industry. We actually recorded the podcast twice because of how drastic the laws had changed from when we originally recorded the podcast. The legalization will take place on October the 17th, so we thought we'd get the podcast out before then. Please enjoy this episode of the podcast. It's uh, Terry Doherty from WP Radio. Um, I'm down here, and we're at um, Beard Winter LLP, and I have uh, Seth Kornblum, uh, Aaron Murray, and David Edwards, uh, all from Beard Winter. Um, welcome, guys, and thank you very much for being on our podcast today. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having us. Good afternoon. Excellent. Uh, guys, we're here talking about rec- recreational cannabis uh, and uh, it coming into effect in October the 17th, 2018. Uh, here throughout the province and throughout the country. Um, so, guys, my questions for you today and, and really with WP is kind of where we are going with this and how things are going to change with regards to cannabis use in the province. And I'm going to deal directly with Ontario just because that's where, you know, all of the adjusters that are listening to this for the most part are, are based. So maybe we can kind of go around the table and uh, first of all tell us who you are and you know what kind of practice you do before we do any of this. So we'll start with you, um, Aaron. Sure. Uh, so I've been here at the firm since 2004, articled here then and, uh, and never left. And now I, I'm one of the partners here and my practice is uh, exclusively in the area of uh, defense work, primarily for insurance companies. Uh, some self-insured, bigger companies under under large self-insured retentions as well. Um, probably half of my practice now is still motor vehicle defense work, and the other half would involve various different types of insurance claims, whether they be uh, slip and fall, commercial general liability, product liability, property damage, um, large loss damage, fire loss, uh, all, all kinds of different claims. And, and soon to be cannabis claims. And, well, we will see. A lot of it's uh, guesswork at this stage, but uh, I think there are going to be a lot of changes and look forward to chatting more with you about those changes and potential changes over the next hour or so. All right. And uh, yourself, Seth? Yes, Seth Kornblum. I have been at Beard Winter since 2001. I've been a partner in the insurance uh, department since 2009. A uh, broad insurance practice, like most of us, primarily auto, but it has been um, branching into new areas uh, for quite a while now. And uh, yes, uh, marijuana infractions and insurance issues arising from uh, cannabis will uh, soon be part of that uh, uh, complement. All right, great. And Aaron, yourself. I'm sorry, it's David. But... Oh, I'm sorry, David. Um, so very similar to Aaron and Seth, uh, my practice is uh, primarily concerned with defense work. I've been with the firm since 2014 when I summered and subsequently articled with the firm. 
and was called to the bar in 2016 and been with the firm since. Um, very similar scope of practice to Aaron and Seth in terms of uh, a lot of my book of business relates to motor vehicle, but as well entrepreneurs' liability uh, type claims, property, fire losses, uh, as well as recreational liability type claims. Excellent, thanks. Uh, we're gonna have auto claims coming from this, and uh, right now you've got a way of dealing with impaired driving with respect to alcohol. Um, does any of you know how we're gonna deal with this with regards to um, cannabis? Has there been any discussion from the police or from anybody on how they're gonna deal with this from an impaired state driving with cannabis and what the levels are gonna be? Speaking with respect to the insurance issues, um, initially there was going to be a subjective test that was going to be applied for an impairment uh, similar to an alcohol impairment but with the um, introduction of Bill uh, C-46, that's changed a bit. They now have um, passed uh, testing to be done. It would be a saliva test at the scene, and if it's positive, then it would allow the police and law enforcement to engage in other types of uh, testing, uh, which would be a blood test uh, to see what the levels were the testing and equipment that they are using captures it for up to six hours of use. And although there is some debate as to what the levels are gonna be that tip you over from uh, an impaired from a subjective test or not, it looks like they're talking between two and five nanograms. That would be a lower level offense with a fine up to $1,000. And if you were above five nanograms, it would be similar penalties to alcohol impairments. And so the impact on driving per se um, doesn't really affect third-party liability claims, but the impairment and, and any criminal offense really only applies uh, to the accident benefit side of things. And when you're going there, you're looking at Section 31 of the SABs. And what it talks about being exclusions to claims if you um, are involved with uh, a criminal offense. There's going to have to be a change because it only talks about the impairment or the blood alcohol reading. So it's going to have to, uh, we anticipate it's going to have to change to capture this blood test and uh, what the new standards are going to be uh, for marijuana impairment. Do you think they're going to have to change the OAP one as well or not? Because I mean, there they have the two parts under section 722. The first one is if you are charged and convicted of a criminal offense involving uh, an intoxicating substance, and then the other part it is, or part of it is, if you're unable to maintain your vehicle due, an intox due to an intoxicating substance, they don't say it has to be alcohol. So I'm just that's pretty wide in its. No, I, I don't think they're going to change that because of all the changes that are going to have to come into play with all of the different areas, uh, auto, home every area, I think that they're gonna want, I think that the insurers and the legislation is gonna try and limit the number of changes and so to simplify it and streamline it as much as they can. And if they can rely upon impairment as the test, then there's no reason to change that. The only reason they need to change the SAB is because it talks about the blood alcohol concentration in, in a driver. And so they're gonna have to change that to address the change with uh, marijuana impairment and the um, 
the uh, subjective testing and then the objective testing that's done with, with this uh, saliva test at the roadside. So is this going to be, are we going to run into the same issues that they have now with the um, roadside test where they can refuse to take the test? Do you think is that going to be the same thing? Again, this is this is a criminal issue, and, and no, we're, I know we're insurance guys. But um, actually, one of one of the criminal offenses listed in in the exclusion, the SABS, is the refusal oh, okay. to to a, to, um, to comply with the testing. Okay. So I think that they can just blanketly apply that to uh, and, and marijuana impairment as well. And I know again, it's we're talking criminal, but just with regards to, and the only reason I, I think about it, because I think about the first party offense as right. well, right? The first party uh, impaired driving, they crash their car and they're charged with impaired and we don't cover their damages until we find out what their charges were and then if they were impaired or not. So with that being said, that roadside test, this subjective test, is that gonna be pass, fail, or? That kind of, or is it literally going to be under two, two to five? Like, is no, it going to be that gonna, specific? The blood, the blood test is going to be the um, the objective testing between two and five nanograms and five nanograms and over. There's going to be a saliva test at the scene. They're going to take a swab and say pass or fail, and it's pass or fail, and that gives them the green light, so to speak, to do a more further and intrusive type of test on the individual. Again, they're going to have to change the SABs because it talks about. Uh, failure to provide a breath sample where it's not going to be a breath sample uh, for a drug impairment. It's, it's going to be a sample. It's going to be a saliva sample. Yeah. And if you fail to provide that, then I anticipate it's going to fall into the same type of criminal offense. The SABs and, and impairment only affects certain benefits. It doesn't affect all benefits. So it's still it's still going to be much like the impaired, so it's Correct. going to be the non-earner benefits. Yes. And specified benefits are the only ones that are going to be impacted by this and obviously the property damage to a vehicle. Okay. And that's going to be it. And what about reduction in uh, coverage on the tort side? From our perspective, it's going to be the same as, as any impairment. Um, there's zero reduction because that's against public policy and it doesn't impact on the third party liability of a driver to others. So it does, there's going to be no change. From then. our perspective, there's going to be no change. Okay. It's going to be treated the same way as, as alcohol. Okay. Terrific. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, has there been any changes with regards to the amount of plants that someone can have in their house? I know um, after reading your article, I know it's not out yet, but uh, kudos to you guys for getting a great article into the WP magazine, and we appreciate it. Um, and it's hopefully the first part of many. Um, and uh, I know both yourself, Aaron, and uh, David and Seth, I'm, all of you actually helped author it, so I, I do appreciate it. Um, but let's kind of talk about that. We, you know, they were talking about four plants, um, and is and that's plants of any size. So maybe uh, if you want to take it, Aaron. Uh, was your question if there's been a change? Yeah, or is it still going to be four plants? Or has there been any changes? I know because this the C45 has been very fluid in its changes. It has. So, so I've been listening on a daily basis to see what the changes have been. It's it's certainly a bit of a moving target. As far as I'm aware, it's it's still four plants. Um, and uh, so the, as far as the restrictions in, in the way that the bill is currently drafted, I think it's the same as it was when we, when we wrote our article. Um, but as we've all seen over the last number of months, it's a bit of a moving target. So who knows if there will be more changes between now and, and October. Okay. And what about the amount of possession you can have on your person at, at any one time? The, the amount of grams, I think it was 30 grams? So... 
I believe for, for recreational use now, 30 grams is um, of dried cannabis in public is, is permitted. And it's interesting because for, the, for recreational marijuana, the possession limits are much different than for medical use marijuana. And uh, medical use marijuana, the carry limit is actually a lot higher, 150 grams, um, as opposed to the 30 grams allowed use for recreational. Is there a difference in medical use for number of plants in the house as well then? Or is that, is that still going to be the same as four plants? One thing to point out is that uh, when we refer to four plants, it's four plants per house. So it doesn't matter how many people are actually living in the house. Uh, it's still four plants. And it has been a bit of a moving target. You made reference to the size of the plants. Um, I believe there is a restriction actually on the size of the plants. Last time I checked, I believe it was about a meter is as high as the plant is allowed. Um, so that's another consideration. Uh, and again, I believe it's going to be up to the municipalities to determine specific bylaws um, with respect to further restrictions on what uh, each dwelling house is allowed. No one really paid attention, to be totally honest, I think, because it being medical marijuana, but now that it's recreational, I think it's kind of heightened a lot of people's interest, and there's a lot of kind of fear out there that, you know, people are worried that everybody's going to go out and try it. And I, yeah. I'm not sure that's going to be the case. Well, it, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see if that's the case or not. I mean, there's probably a lot less people would be, probably, who knows, but less people would be drinking if, there wasn't a certain permitted amount of drinking allowed and accepted, I think, in society. And although marijuana as a recreational drug is probably the most accepted by society or, or one of the more accepted by society, um, with it being illegal for the most part still, not as many people you would think have been using it. Um, and we've got some of, the, some of the stats in the article that David and I wrote. Um, but Statistics Canada is, you know, estimates um, about 5 million Canadians between 15 and 64 have been using it uh, now. But once it's a certain amount of recreational marijuana is made legal, uh, you have to imagine that those, those numbers are only going to increase. But do you think they're going to increase a lot? Or do you think it's going to be a one time, you're going to see a spike and then it go back down? I don't know. I, I think I think you're going to see a lot more people willing to try it because it's no longer considered as taboo being an illegal substance as 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 it is now. Okay. Now with the um, it, the legal cannabis or the recreational cannabis, I mean, I've seen everybody talking about edibles and all sorts of things coming around, but from what I understood, they're still going to be illegal, are they not? No. Oh. No. No, they're still going to be... Um... Are they legal then? Come the up. Ontario Cannabis Store put out a note uh, today, August 21st, and said that they will sell a variety of products, including fla dried flower, cannabis oil, cannabis seeds, to customers 19 and older when pot becomes legal on October 17th. This is online. And that's from one store? Or is that from the Ontario government saying that that's going to be allowed? That's from one store. They are the only online retailer. And have they been approved to be an online retailer? I believe they have. Wow. Okay. 
So let's talk about home insurance because that's going to be a big one for a lot of us as well. So right now we've got a, a lot of claims for mold and uh, illegal operations within a household and uh, all those types of things uh, that come up in claims. Can you see any changes or do you know of any changes to insurance policies on the home insurance side? Because it's no longer going to be considered an illegal operation as of October 17th. Right, so I mean, this is, it's gonna become a pretty uh, broad area of concern and a need for redrafting for most of the domestic insurers or anyone in, insuring homeowners policies in Ontario um, because most policies now have uh, an exclusion in there specifically relating to uh, marijuana, some do. Yeah. Um, and now that there is going to be an allowed amount, those, all of those uh, provisions of the policies, those exclusions are going to have to be redrafted to reflect um, the fact that a certain amount is now going to be permitted. Um, so it can't form part of an exclusion un under, under the policy. Well, I'm also going to wonder, I'm wondering if the plants are just going to start being grown in the backyard like they should, you know, like a typical plant as opposed to what they're doing now is because they're trying to hide it. They're having to put in lamps and do all these things to simulate the change in the day and, you know, night and, and daytime and stuff. But if they're just growing in your backyard, you're not going to have that mold issue. You're not going to have those issues that you would typically have now with the illegal operations. True. But I, but I think that a lot of the people, so if, if we are correct that more people will start using marijuana recreationally now that a certain amount is permitted, there's going to be more people, I don't think they're just going to use it from the months of, you know, May to October, perhaps when their plants can survive outside. So people, I would think, are going to, there's going to be more people growing it within their homes too, which could still involve different types of electrical apparatuses sure. and lamps, uh, a need for different types of ventilation systems, and could, could result in a whole host of, of an increase in different types of claims that'll no longer be excluded as we've typically seen under policies. We've seen lots of grow up claims over the last number of years that pretty typically result in, uh, in non-coverage decisions. And fires. Uh, and, and fires. But now there could be similar types of losses um, that are no longer, um, they're, they're no longer dismissed because of the exclusions under the policy. So we may still see the fires, we stay, may still see the mold, but they're no longer going to be excluded. Well, keep in mind there's a huge difference between the legislative maximum of four plants per household, which is based upon, defined as the address, sure, and the reference to a grow-up. Um, if, if, and we're not here to talk about grow-ups per se, sure, but um, if you analyze a grow-up and what causes the damage, uh, grow-ups are obviously a much larger scale than having four plants in your house. And, and the causes of the fires are likely not the plants themselves, but the mechanism used to mass manufacture and grow. And you're going to avoid that um, when you're only allowed four plants. We had spoken, the three of us had spoken about this earlier, and that it's going to be incumbent upon the insurers to invite their policyholders to give notice of their intention either to, to grow or possess uh, because of the inherent added risk to the homeowner policies. 
do you think that there will be an additional charge in premium allowed based on that? So, you know, when your policy is coming up for renewal, you speak to your broker or your agent, whoever it is, and you let them know, hey, I intend on growing four plants in my house. Um, and then the broker says that's fine, but there's going to be an additional premium charge for that risk because there is going to be a different risk. You're right. We, we think it's certainly a consideration that the underwriting departments are, are going to have to look at because even though the permitted amount of, of four of them restricting it to four plants should reduce um, a lot of the, the bigger risk, as Seth said, that's associated with the criminal, criminal grow ops, there could still be um, increased claims and it has to increase the, the risk level for a homeowner that, that discloses their intention to, uh, to grow recreational marijuana within their home. But is it any more of a risk now then from growing that and growing tomatoes in your basement? Huge. Why? It's increased, first of all, any increased risk is going to result in increased premium. No, no, but I'm just saying, what's the difference then they're going to be saying is it's, it's illegal to grow tomatoes in my basement. I didn't have to tell well, you no about one, that. no one's hopping your fence to come into your backyard and pick a few tomatoes. I that's, hope not. That's the first thing. Yeah. Um, the equipment used is a lot more sophisticated to grow marijuana than it is to, to have a few tomato plants um, in your home or, or in your backyard. Um, and, you know, as, as we've also discussed, you're also inviting that crim criminal element uh, of, of a break and enter into your home, uh, depending upon where these plants are, depending on who has knowledge of these plants, depending upon uh, what type of, you know, knowledge the community has that you're doing this. Um, these are all increase, increased risk. It's no different than increasing a risk of having a pool. And we've talked about people jumping into your pool when you're not even there. Um, the risk of having renters on your property. Any increased risk is going to result in an increased premium. And there are many reasons that an insurance company will be able to successfully justify that growing up to four plants in your home is an increased risk. What's happened in the U.S. in terms of look at grow ups and the equipment that are required to grow marijuana inside and as Aaron said with our climate it's most likely that people who are going to want to use it on a regular basis are going to be growing it inside their house uh, it's a significant increase in water usage electricity especially as well as carbon dioxide so it really increases your risk of fire when you're uh, when in certain circumstances carbon deni carbon dioxide uh, is going to be the usage of it is going to be increased dramatically to help grow the plants. The risk of fire as a result is going to increase as well. So um, from that perspective, we don't know exactly if it does touch on uh, what equipment is required. But if you look at typical grow-ups and the equipment that they use, uh, I expect you'll see that in the recreational industry. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's your high-intensity high lights, your halogen lights with the shielding. Uh, I've been in quite a few grow-ups in my insurance career, so you've got that. You've got the water sprayers. You've got timers. I mean, I've been in some really sophisticated grow-ups, and I've been in some unsophisticated grow-ups, and they all seem to result in fires. It doesn't matter how sophisticated they are. It, it always results in a fire. And a, a lot of the equipment set up, sure, it's a much different scale when it's a big, uh, you know, a, a big grow operation. Um, but even for just growing a few plants recreationally, people that have grown them inside, they still use, 
you know, specialized equipment generally. Yeah, I, the, I believe to do the lamps. I mean, that seems to be the staple, right? To, to make sure it's, and it's set to a timer. So it's going on, you know, for 12 hours and then off for 12 hours. And then the watering system is also set onto a timer. And, and I mean, we anticipate that for, from an underwriting perspective, there should be a whole, there's gonna to need to be a whole host of questions at the application for insurance stage and perhaps on renewal now too, after, after the bill uh, comes, in, comes into effect, dealing with recreational, uh, allowed recreational growing of marijuana uh, within the home. Hey everyone, I just wanna let you know about our new portion of WP. Um, it's WP Digital. If you get a chance, go to our YouTube channel, just type in WP Digital and take a look at some of our content. We were going to have all of our videos. We're going to be doing two to three a month, as well as you'll be able to listen to your podcasts right off the digital channel. So uh, go back, enjoy, and there's some great videos for you to take a look at. Most of all, our September kickoff at the Ripley's Aquarium, a little intro video for you there. Thank you. Now, I know Seth and I spoke before about this and, uh, you know, prior to the podcast and whatnot, we were talking about Colorado and the things going on in Colorado. Do you know if they saw an increase in claims? So the interesting thing, uh, well, perhaps I'll let Seth touch on this. <laughs> okay. The, the, the danger, thank you, Aaron. The, da the danger <laughs> there is that um, you really still have a, a pro-marijuana side of things and an anti-marijuana side of things. You have to be really careful um, on the studies you're looking at. Um, we looked at one study that, um, that analyzed 400, sorry, 547 uh, traffic deaths in 2015 in Colorado. Um, they concluded that 34, 34% uh, 34 were alcohol-related, 18% uh, were marijuana-related, and uh, about 6.5% were a combination. So you're still twice as many alcohol-related deaths in 2015 in Colorado than there was marijuana deaths. Um, there may be some very uh, valid and, and explainable reasons for that. Um, you know, primarily the effect that alcohol has on someone versus the effect that marijuana has on someone. But as easy as I read that stat to you, there are other statistics that, uh, and reports that say it's going up. So it's, it's really difficult to kind of gauge where that is um, in terms of, of what your numbers are. But again, here, here's a statistic from, from Colorado, a jurisdiction that has had licensed marijuana for a while. And, and in 2015, um, they, they had almost twice as many deaths from alcohol than as marijuana. Okay. So that's uh, something to kind of keep in mind. Also, to touch on your medicinal marijuana question from earlier, the number of plants you have is going to be dependent upon the prescription that you have. Ah. Okay, because um, the prescription uh, that you're going to have is going to, is going to give you your answer as to how many plants you can grow. If you have one gram, you're going to have up to five plants. If it's going to be greater than one gram, then um, the number of plants you're going to grow is, is going to go up. And so I, we anticipate that the number of plants you have if you have a license for medicinal marijuana is directly in proportion to the prescription that you have. So they won't even have that uh, limitation? No, and keep, keep in mind that the medicinal marijuana doesn't, is very different um, chemically composed as to the um, recreational marijuana. And so there are a lot of differences between the two. 
you can't really just compare the two by saying, or compare them by saying they're apples and apples. It really is apples and oranges okay. when you're comparing recreational marijuana and its effect on people versus medicinal marijuana. This is, for me, C45 is such its own little animal. It's, it's it, with it changing constantly and not knowing. They, they really have been really vague in how they ruled it out. You'll be able to buy your seeds legally from the Ontario Cannabis Store online. Oh, okay. Starting October 17, 2018, you'll be able to buy the seeds from Ontario Cannabis Store online. Wow, okay. And do we know strengths on that? Is, or is there just, it's just seeds and then, and again, I don't know how it really works. Do you inject it? Does it come, you know, because they talk about THC, the active ingredient. Is that in it? Let's look into that for you, Terry. And, okay. And uh, we can continue our conversation on, <laughs> on homeowners. And, and again, back to homeowners, it's like any risk. And Aaron and I spoke. It's the fence around the swimming pool. It's the railing on the stairs. Um, you know, anything that an insurer sees as, a, as an increased risk to the property is going to be something that they're going to draw. It's going to draw their attention. Um, this is a little different because it's new, and it's a little different because um, of how it's being phased in. But nonetheless, this all goes back to what we've discussed about underwriting and, and knowledge and awareness of, of added risk to, to someone's home. Has anyone contemplated renter's insurance versus homeowner? So what I mean by that is you're a homeowner and you rent out part of your property uh, or even the entire property to a, another party and they're having, they're growing marijuana in, their, in your property and you're unaware of it. Yeah, so I, I think we do touch on that a little bit in, in, in our article as well because it's going to have to form, I mean, a smart landlord uh, is going to want to have that form part of their tenancy agreement. Um, and insurers who are insuring landlords are going to want to have a look at those tenancy agreements, I think, when they're trying to set an underwriting premium for a particular policy and make sure that the questions are being asked as far as uh, intentions to, to grow recreational marijuana or maybe even possess and, and making sure there's some sort of wording in those tenancy agreements relating to the restrictions. And do we have any clarification on, I know there was some talk that the condos were going to just say no to growing uh, marijuana altogether. So did that ever get clarified? Uh, I, I would have to imagine that it would depend on the, it would be up to each condo corporation because they're, they're private companies. They can set their own regulations. They can, right? But yeah. you would think that it's going to result in, in issues similar to, to having pets uh, within condos because a lot, a lot of them have tried to set regulations relating to, to pets, but a lot of pet owners have successfully argued that um, they can't be restricted from, from having pets because it's, they should be allowed to. The suggestion is it's going to be very difficult to pass that because of the fact that unless you have a smoking, a general smoking ban, you can't target something that is, um, you can lawfully possess. So you'd have to have it as a more blanket smoking, uh, no smoking ban on the property itself. And if you can't enforce that, then you likely would not be able to enforce um, uh, a smoking ban on marijuana. 
So let's talk about if it's going to be legal. You're going to be able to smoke it in your car? No. I think it'll. I think it'll no, be the, the same. Says no. Same as same as alcohol. Same as alcohol. So a certain amount of alcohol is legal. You you can't you, you can't have. Open you can't alcohol. drink and drive. Sure. Well, you, not only can you not drink and drive, you can't have open alcohol. Yeah. So it's going to be the same. You can't have a passenger in the back seat smoking marijuana. No. Okay. You can only smoke in a private residence. In a private. Use in public spaces and vehicles is not prohibited. Is not uh, permitted. Okay. Well, that makes that clear. Um, let's talk about theft from the home and and the increase of that. Did we get any of that? Um, did you get any of those statistics when you were looking at the Colorado? And I, I go back to Colorado because it seems to be the longest standing one. Did the crime increase in the Colorado area, Seth, from your review? Again, uh, we prefer to focus on the non-criminal side of things. Yeah, um, but for insurance claims, I mean. Is there any... For insurance claims, I, I think that that is an obvious concern and risk, and it's been raised in, in the... In the article that David and Aaron have written yeah um, it's an obvious concern that um, you know this this becomes an added risk of, of theft and and damage to plant and that talks about um, the policies itself or the insurance the homeowners policies and, and damage to plant and Aaron and, and David spoke about that in their article that it's something else that you're gonna have to get a, another rider on your policy and you're gonna have to get an endorsement because while we still can't definitively tell you how much a plant is worth, all of the cases that have been looked at seem to generally conclude that the value of a plant is, or plants, is greater than the allowed monetary uh, policy limits for damage to plant, non-marijuana plant. So this is, this is obviously going to be a concern for those that are growing as well. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing sort of touched on it I mean we're not we're not certainly not experts I don't think anyone's an expert yet on recreational marijuana here in Ontario but uh, we're certainly not experts on on Colorado but when we were trying to do research on this topic um, so that we could put together our, our thoughts on on what may happen here in Ontario I think we had anticipated that there'd be a lot more out there about the impact uh, that it's had in states that have legalized it like Colorado um, but unfortunately, there doesn't there doesn't seem to be much out there. Even though it's been it's been legalized for a couple of years, are they keeping it quiet? <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I, I on a, personally, I travel to Colorado uh, almost on a yearly basis, and you better explain why you're there. And, uh, uh, to to go to the mountains, and and I had and I had thought that. Um, why do you go to the mountains, Aaron? I, I go to the mountains to 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 go snowboarding, Seth. Excellent. Um, <laughs> so buttermilk or? But but uh, no, uh, usually usually veil. Okay. Uh, but but we we thought the first time that we went there after the legalization that it'd be a lot more it'd be a lot more in your face, uh, even just you know, in in stores and and but it it really isn't and and wasn't. We didn't see much of a change going there um, and it was interesting when we were doing research because there wasn't nearly as much out there as far as how it's impacted the insurance industry in Colorado or, or claims in Colorado. Sure. And Seth touched on it briefly earlier and just to add to that is that although there isn't a ton of research out there, the statistics, you got to be very careful as to who the source is because there's a lot of pro-marijuana and anti-marijuana. So 
the statistics you do find out there, you got to take with a grain of salt because you can see them going one way or the other depending on who the source is. Sure, there's going to be bias, obviously, from both sides. Let's talk about this uh, Stewart versus TD uh, case. It's in your article um, with regards to, uh, you know, their recreational, or sorry, the, it's um, not a recreational case, but it's actually a medical marijuana case. Yeah, so in that case, um, the interesting thing is the, the court in that one uh, held on the side of the insurer because they said that it was, it was not a usual uh, use of, of the property, in, in essence. Um, but you'd have to think that a case like that now um, involving you know, sto stolen or, or damaged plants um, that it would be it'd be different because there it, it, it's no longer going to be an unusual use of, of, a, of a property or at least most properties. Well, he claimed fifty thousand right in damaged plants and stolen plants, right? And with a limit of his policy with a thousand, right? Right, and that's typical. I would say of most homeowners' policies is, you know, unless your plants or your trees or shrubbery are itemized or scheduled items, that's typically the limit you'd see on a policy. Well, and that's part of what Seth was touching on a few moments ago, yeah. too, because, you know, typically most plants aren't, aren't worth much money. Sure. Um, and, and there's going to have to be consideration now into, um, you know, the value of and it, uh, the value of the recreational marijuana plants that are on the, that are on the property. And, again, I think this is going to go back to the underwriting concerns uh, at the times of application for insurance and renewal uh, for insurance once the bill's enacted. So do you think they're going to have to put a rider, like a specific rider, on the policy then, Seth? Is that, do you think that's going to be how, how they deal with it? Or do you think it's just going to be, they're just going to increase the limits for coverage for plants? Or, or is it going to be a combination well, of both? I think it would be a rider. I think it'd be no different than if someone has jewelry in their home that exceeds the, the standard policy limits. And, sure. And they want to increase the value and minimize their risk. Um, it will be no different for, for marijuana. Um, again, um, unfortunately, I think a lot of lay people out there may not be aware uh, of this limit on plant. Um, there are many cases, uh, as Aaron and, and David have seen, there are other case, very similar cases in the United States um, where, where the same type of objection comes. And all these cases have one key element. And the key element is, is that the policyholder not, is not aware of, of the policy, of the limits of their, their policy. Uh, had they been aware of these limits, they surely would have declared this to their insurer and they would have taken steps, presumably, to increase the limits that were available to them. So is this a broker issue? Maybe. It might be a broker issue, but it, it's not an insurer issue. Um, I don't think that there's any, any um, risk to the insurer. Uh, the, the policy says what it says. It's no different than if you had a flood and you had um, damage to your home and you had a policy limit of 25,000, that's all they're gonna pay you. If you have plants and uh, your policy says all plants are, have a value of X, that's all you're gonna get. If you want more, then you need to disclose that to your insurer and or your broker and alert them to the fact that you need additional coverage. Well, okay. That's gonna be interesting come the first big property claim of four plants at 50 grand or whatever it's going to be. I don't know what they're going to be, but I mean, I'm sure it's going to be more than $1,000.
it'll have to be. Yeah. As David said earlier, uh, if you're going to limit uh, the height of the plant, you're obviously going to limit the yield that the plant is going to, you're going to be able to retrieve from the plant. Um, I think that growing marijuana may not be much different, as Aaron and I discussed, of, of those that make homemade wine or, or those that do a little moonshine uh, in, in their backyard. Um, this really is a, the more we review this, um, there is quite the science, um, and it's not just the green thumb of, you know, using your analogy of the tomato plant. There is quite the science to this. Um, when you look at the different seeds that we see that are available online for purchase, um, some of them require 24-hour um, light. Um, so that's going to be quite the hit on your hydro bill for example, to have light. And it's not just your standard, you know, halogen light bulb that's going to be doing this. Yeah. Um, and, 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 the, and these seeds, I mean, if you're taking from seed, it's, it's going to be a very sensitive um, endeavor to, to have any type of productive uh, plant yield from this. Uh, so growing plants may not be, it may, it may be, I was going to use the buzzword, but it, it may be, you know, a, a kind of neat kind of novel thing to do, but we really don't think that, that a lot of people are going to be successful in growing uh, plants. Um, the, the big thing here is, is, the, is the commercial um, consumption or the commercial, like just the commerce of it and, and the purchase of it and the impact. Um, I, I don't, we don't anticipate that you're going to have everyone that's going to go out and line up and, and, and order seeds from this online company and then have to germinate them and then have to water them and then have to fertilize them and then have to put 24-hour light on them. It, it becomes an expensive endeavor. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and then when you add the added risk of the insurer telling, you know, presumably inviting people to de declare and disclose that they have the plant, and the increased policy that's going to come, or the premium that's going to come from the policy, um, people may think twice uh, about growing. Okay. Let's talk about the social host liability aspect, because I think that may pose a lot of risk that changes things. I mean... So it's, it's still going to be... It's going to be treated the same way as, as alcohol perspective of someone that's that's hosting a party where the difference is going to come in is if the person hosting the party um, or, or the homeowner responsible for uh, for the, for the property as, as the occupier is providing um, to to others uh, a strain that they've grown themselves and um, who knows what's in that um, and who knows what type of effect that that could have on the consuming it um, but it, it would be the same as uh, treated the same as someone who, who's growing uh, or making their own al alcohol in their in their basement I would think yeah I, where I was going with that is is now you've got a bunch of adults that could have 30 grams on their person everybody could have 30 grams on their person right at any given time and now you're sharing that with somebody in that person's home so you may not be the homeowner but you're at an event or a party at someone's house and uh, you share it with somebody else and then they have an accident when they leave, was the host then responsible for it, you know, uh, because the, it was actually at their home? 
I don't think so. The, the same way, the, the same way as someone who's attending a, a, a party, um, and they may be sharing their alcohol with other people at, at the party. Uh, the Supreme Court of Canada, in, in the in the child's decision, has said that the homeowner can't be held responsible um, for what the various people that have been invited to their home are doing. Okay. Essentially, right. The bigger the bigger concern, as Aaron has touched upon, and the article touches upon, is is, is those that are going to take pride in their homegrown <clears throat> marijuana, and, and someone has some ill effect uh, from it. Um, when not, you say ill effect, you mean being sick? Being sick. Oh, okay. Um, not being impaired to operate a vehicle per se. I mean, child is pretty clear on what it says. Uh, again, uh, as we've touched on, a, lo a lot of um, uh, the rules and laws on alcohol and impairment are going to carry right over uh, into marijuana. There, there's n a substance that impairs you and intoxicates you. It, it's going to be treated the same. Um, you can't control everyone at your home if they're all going to bring 30 grams of marijuana uh, into your home. It's going to be quite the party. Um, it's going to be quite the party. What about commercial? So we've touched on auto, we've touched on home. Let's touch on commercial. Commercial doesn't, we don't think, is going to have any impact. Again, keep in mind, well, in terms of, of, of a social host liability, uh, sorry, commercial host liability, there's not going to be any impact because, again, keep in mind of the law of where you're able to consume the marijuana. Okay, we're not going to have bars that spring up and people are going to be able um, uh, to just sit in a bar and, and, and smoke a joint. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there, it's very clear um, that you can only smoke in a private residence. So it's going to limit that. You're not going to have this. A bar is not a private residence. Sure. That's pretty clear and we can all accept that. So it, it's not going to be the type of thing where you're going to have this kind of consumer consumption of a product. It's not so going to be like alcohol. You it's just not going to be like alcohol. No. Go to a special event or no. whatever. Listen, that's not going to be, I mean, that's not going to apply to any commercial host who's a retailer. I mean, we talked earlier as well that, you know, there's rumors now that, that Second Cup wants to get into the game because they have all these stores and if it's going to become um, privatized um, in, or it's not, it's not going to be privatized in terms of uh, sale, they have all of these retail stores and all these locations and coffee and marijuana to some people are, are a natural marriage. So it's possible that they're going to have those types of commercial host exposure that is not going to be for a social host. And again, it's not going to be any different uh, in terms of for selling any, any product that's tainted. So they'll be able to sell it there, but you won't be able to consume it there. Correct. So it's a take home type yeah. deal. Correct. Okay. Um, what about on the commercial aspect as far as commercial growing in that? Has that really been so looked at? I, I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because I'm hoping that perhaps that can be the next, uh, the next article that, that we look into for, for, uh, for the organization. Um, we, we, haven't, we haven't done a lot of the, the research that will be necessary on it yet. Um, but I do anticipate, we do anticipate that uh, it is going to have an effect in, in general on commercial production. Um, certainly, because you, what we've already seen in the last few years is a lot of big, a lot of companies are incorporating, starting big operations, getting investors, and, and getting into the game, so to speak, of, of growing, uh, growing marijuana because everyone's anticipating 
the big commercial uh, interest that's going to be there to purchase it. So that's going to result in, in more productions, more, more production facilities, uh, different types of underwriting concerns for those production facilities and uh, delivery as you sort of touched on. Yeah. As you sort of touched on earlier. Um, and, you know, we have seen claims in the past in, involving uh, big uh, greenhouses and, and um, with respect to vegetables and things like that. Uh, there's going to be those types of operations that now instead of growing vegetables, they're growing marijuana. Uh, and there's going to be a lot more of them. And now when one of those facilities is damaged and they lose, uh, they lose a crop or part of a, a crop of marijuana, the damages are going to be far greater than they were when it was a crop of tomatoes. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Based on the plant, you're saying the cost of a plant is, if, it, more than a thousand dollars per plant. I don't know. Have they specified what they think a plant costs? Again, when we when we went online, it's it's no one really wants to share that information uh, publicly as as to what plants cost. And again, it, it depends on the height of the plant, depends on how mature the plant is. There are a lot of factors involved. Um, but just going back to the, the point before, on the Ontario Cannabis Store has announced that they have uh, licenses with 26 companies to supply them with marijuana. Wow. Okay, that's about, as of August 20th. So these are LP licensed producers and they have agreement with 26 different companies. So this is, uh, it's gonna be a huge cash crop and it's gonna be, uh, um, it's obviously much more regulated than other crops for various reasons. And um, with that comes um, the natural need for insurance and the natural risk of damage to crop as Aaron has talked about and also uh, the risk uh, of, um, of, you know, that uh, product liability beyond that. So is it, it, you think it would be fine then if somebody was carrying 30 grams on their person that it's in the back of their car, much like alcohol, it can't be within the reach of the driver or whatever, but I've got to assume it can't be within the reach of anybody in the car then, any occupant, so I've got to assume it's, it's all got to be in the trunk then? No, no? I, I wouldn't think it has to be secured. No, okay. Um, you, are, you are lawfully allowed to possess up to 30 grams uh, in public. Um, the, the prohibition is on the, where you can, in theory, consume it. It's not on, there's no prohibition on possession. Um, it could be in your back pocket of, of your, I mean, we could plug any clothing company, but it could be in the back pocket of your pants yeah. as you drive home. I okay. don't think it has to be secured. I don't right. think there's any... There's nothing that we have seen that is going to regulate transportation of marijuana when someone purchases it for, for, for private consumption. Okay. And I, I'm not sure if we touched on this. Did they speak about edibles as opposed to smoking it? Is that being dealt with in this uh, legislation, C45? What the type of consumption of the product is going to be or in what form it's going to be allowed in you know you're going to allow you know if you're allowed 30 grams you're going to allow what is that workout to 80 gummy bears or whatever they're going <laughs> to the little items going to be right well i think they're going to have to they're going to have to figure that out and that's you know those, some of those things are going to be part of the uh the intricacies that as this thing is rolled out they're really going to have to start paying attention to um but I would anticipate it, it is, it, it would have to be a determination of the amount that's 
within whatever the edible is because edibles are uh, are allowed. They, so I've heard two different things. So they, your understanding is edibles are going to be allowed come October 17th? Online, yes, as, we, as we've currently um, discussed. Um, in terms of um, a brick-and-mortar store, no. All right. So what about these? Because currently now I know if you go to any reserve, they're selling all sorts of stuff already. So the edible, what I was saying is though the edibles, you, you'll be able to just buy them online then at this, as far as you know, at this point, it's not going to be in well, store. Well, again, it was announced by Ontario's only online retailer that um, when it's legalized, they have supply agreements in place. So our understanding is, is that as long as no, and this was in at least one of the drafts of your article, is that as long as you're not using dangerous solvents, uh, in the process, then people will be allowed to make edibles for personal use. Oh, okay. Um, so the, these are the products that we may have discussed. Uh, gummies, chocolates, uh, I, I have no idea. Oh, here's a list. Brownies, chocolate chips, fruit bars, almond milk, uh, other type products. So um, that, that's uh, where the regulation is. And as we discussed, uh, again, amongst ourselves, um, Marijuana itself is much less uh, complicated and complex than the products. And so I think that's why the government decided to start with sale of marijuana only only to start. And then they're going to phase in the other uh, products. And our understanding is, is that those other products are going to be sold um, in a much larger scale. And we also... In, in our research have looked at this and that Health Canada is currently considering THC concentration limits on these products um, so that presumably their potency is not going to be any greater than, than the marijuana itself. And as we're all well aware from medicinal and other reasons or other sources, um, you, there are different strains of, the, of marijuana, medicinal marijuana at the moment that will have different effects on people and there'll be no, it, it won't change at all in terms of what they're doing here. All right, so guys, don't forget, uh, check out the article. And again, I apologize that the article is just by Aaron Murray and David Edwards. It's not by Seth, but I'm sure you had some input on it. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for your time today. Thank I appreciate it. And again, I'm hoping to do another follow-up with you guys, uh, maybe... Uh, late next, not late next year, but maybe uh, April or May next year after we've had some claims because I know they're coming through the door. The, the change in this landscape from when we first contemplated doing this podcast till now ha has been so significant that um, it, it'd be nice to have some stability in, in, in adjusting these claims and then uh, defending or prosecuting these claims moving forward. Well, thank you very much again, guys, and uh, have a wonderful evening. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, I'm glad you enjoyed this month's podcast. I just wanted to let you know that we have a great episode coming up next month. It's a surprise, so, uh, you know, we'll let you know when it's coming out. It's going to be great, and we'll talk to you soon.